There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Professional wrestling, like real life, is full of surprises. Hi, everyone. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. And it's no surprise I can talk wrestling all day, any day. Kind of like how State Farm agents can talk insurance and help you choose the right coverage. When it comes to important insurance decisions, let State Farm support you with the coverage you need backed with 24-7 support. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts it's fall from the south with steve and Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Four from the South. This is our podcast where we talk about the news and events of big Latin America. I'm here with my buddy Fabrizio Capano. How are you doing, Fab? All good. All good. Here in the, the big Latin America that is getting bigger every day. Every day it expands. What's the newest conquest? I think Europe is now part of Latin America. I don't yeah. know. I feel like it's keep, it's keep growing and growing. Well, we have a guest today, Fab, who's going to help us interpret and understand all of that. We have Professor Julia Young of Catholic University in Washington, D.C. How are you doing, uh, Julia? Good. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Okay, so Welcome tell us a show. little bit about, yeah, we're, we're excited to have you as a guest because you're actually a scholar of Latin American history. Can you tell us a little bit about your specialty? What's your story? How... How how do you play into the world of big Latin America? <laughs> well, um, a couple ways, and I love the concept of big Latin America. Um, I started uh, being interested in Latin America at about 18. I, tr I for a couple of reasons we can maybe get to later, I, I traveled around. I've actually backpacked around Mexico for uh, five months as an 18 year old. Wow. And it was the first travel that I ever did. It was in 98. Um, so it was an interesting time to be there, although it's always an interesting time to be there. And, um, and I, I think the thing to take, to take to the big Latin America question, I think the thing that I realized when I had that experience was that I knew nothing about Mexico about, well, the, the whole world, really, but especially Mexico. And this is a country that's right next to us. I'd learned nothing about Mexico in school. I only knew that there were Mexicans in the United States. And this is a common reaction of, of uh, uh, white Americans who go to Latin America. I don't know anything. I know nothing. Well, we don't. <laughs> I mean, in a way, that's now my whole career is teaching students who who for the first time are taking a class on Latin America. And I know, and they're like, I know nothing. And I'm like, no, you don't. I know exactly what they know. They know about the Cuban Missile Crisis. They know Fidel Castro. They know Hugo Chavez. Like there are some key, th they know or, the Spanish American All the bad war. stuff. All the war <laughs> yes. bad guys. Yeah, they know like whatever's bad in the news at the moment. And then they know, they know things, they know the Spanish American war. They know, remember the main. So like, they, but that's all they know. And they have no sense. Like they don't know why Los Angeles is called Los Angeles or 
Colorado or Florida or whatever. And so it's really interesting. Like I'm somebody that had that experience of not knowing and then plopping myself down in this country and being like, it like, what, what even is this? And like, how did I not know about it? And it's amazing. How come no one told me about this? Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's right there. I mean, it's yeah. right there. It's in front of you. Right there. Why didn't no Literally there just across an invisible <laughs> imaginary line. Well, now it yeah. has a wall on some of it. So where was your favorite so like place you that, went in Mexico at age 18? Oh. Oh, man. I mean, probably, I haven't been back there since, but probably Chiapas. Um, okay, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I ended up studying a really different part of Mexico, but so maybe it's the idea, like, because I've never gone back, but I went to San Cristobal and Palenque and, you know, just spent, I actually spent a week alone in San Cristobal because a lot of the time I was traveling, I was meet, meeting, making friends and I did some solo mm-hmm. traveling, but um, kind of met, I was plugged into like the backpacker circuit. Sure. And, yeah. um, and, but so in San Cristobal, I was by myself and it was just this amazing, beautiful, cool city in the mountains with these indigenous populations that were um, so, so new to me. I mean, I just, again, it was sort of this like, wait, Mexico. Okay. Mexico is one country, but it has all these angles and all these different populations and wait, these people who don't actually speak Spanish or speak Spanish as a second language. And so I was just kind of learning and absorbing so much when I was there. And then it's just a really beautiful place. And, and what was happening at the time was, um, the EZLN movement in Chiapas, the Zapatista movement, Mm -hmm. Subcomandante Marcos. Was he on the scene? Exactly. Exactly. He was so he was like right there in the jungle. So all the backpackers were like, dude, you have to go to Chiapas and like go see if you can meet some gorillas and get into the jungle and go (laughs) to the DLN headquarters. And I was like, you know, I don't want to do that, but I did want to go to Chiapas and so um and and sort of see it and and read the news and you know, see the posters that were on the wall. And so I great posters. That was an amazing era for posters. Good, good poster era. Like, and then all the, all the, all the, there would like the street vendors were selling little like Zapatista figures in the markets. And so it was like very, it was kind of beginning to be, I think they had figured out that like the gringo backpackers thought they were hip. Yeah, there was a, there was a market for her. There was a little bit of like capitalizing going on there. And, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't there at like the, the real thing, the real beginning of it was um 94 right so i wasn't there at like when it really happened but i was kind of there early enough that it was still kind of cool and hip to be there now i think probably it's too late it's all too late i I can't put this all together i don't remember exactly but i feel like the band rage against the machine played a role in popularizing like the chiapas uh yeah yeah i mean i remember like uh sac de la rocha yeah, that he was really like into all this. Uh, yeah, like the Battle of Los Angeles. That album is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, Whoa. yeah. So everybody okay. got into this. It got well, into as I'm the super 90s not cool coolness. enough to know that. But, <laughs> okay, cool. But no, but it was also like it was the first. It, this was when like the internet was still really new, right? And they and the Zapatistas and and Marcos was using the internet to send out his like missives. And so there was a whole thing about like, this is the first internet revolution. It's like, this is what, <laughs> what actually what they called it. The web. <laughs> it was like, this is a the worldwide web, web revolution. The, web you know? revolution. It had that the Intel revolution. It went really global. America yeah, online was, will be the source of. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, he was you, like sending messages, like, like, uh, not, not tweets, of course. He was like sending no. emails. Like that was like the way he. No, I think he would post, he would write these like long, letters and then okay. they would be posted on maybe their website or other websites it was all websites yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah no social media no nothing i mean the good old internet the old, yeah, the internet, the the bulletin the old board days and it was somewhat yeah. ambiguous like is this one person is this a real guy it was sort of the oh the yeah robin no, hood of the movement right yeah what yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wore the mask and he had the pipe and it was, it was the, he, you know, and all the same people that were the Che Guevara shirts also were really into Sucomanta and yeah, yeah. Marcos. And so it was a, it was like a, for the outsiders, it was like a vibe. It was a feeling. But for yes. the people that really lived there, it was obviously a real issue, which is that Chiapas is, this, is the poorest state in Mexico and it's the most indigenous state in Mexico and people have all kinds of real issues. But I guess like to bring it back to me, I, in in going there at that time, it was just a constant, like every week I was like, wait, there's 
like there's a president of Mexico. Like, wait, there's a revolution happening in Mexico. Wait, they speak different languages. And so that trip just basically said, I came home and I was like, I must know more. (laughs) I do not know anything. And that's kind of what I've been doing ever since is like trying to know more, but with some guided, I guess with some guidelines or with some, um, focused questions. Like one thing that I got really interested in, um, as still as an undergrad, because that was actually, I was a freshman in college. So then the rest of college, I kind of tried to like, whenever I could, um, you know, learn more and write papers on Mexico and whatever. And, um, and I really, like, I was really interested in immigration from pretty early on. Cause I, I think I said, I, as I said before, it was, I knew there were Mexicans in the U S I knew there were a lot of Mexicans in the U S but didn't know anything about Mexico. So it kind of became this, like, how can I put Mexico, how can I understand the history of Mexico in a way that helps me understand this migration and these migrants that are here. And so eventually I didn't, I graduated from undergrad. I did an MA in Latin American studies. Cause I thought that would, I thought then I was like, I was like, then I'll know about Latin America. Then I'll have it and all then, answered. One year study, like, I'll be all set. I'll do an MA. And, <laughs> and, and nope, then I was there like, was still oh, more. Yeah, no, the I bottomless turned out pit I, there's of Latin America. Just, it's just a bottomless pit of like stuff you don't know. And that's <laughs> the worst thing about getting a PhD and becoming a professor and being a person who's supposed to know stuff is you just keep learning about like new dimensions of things you don't know anything about. So don't get a PhD. Um, <laughs> Not a and they're very expensive also yes. uh, I want to say like podcast. I'm from Latin America and I don't know enough I mean I'm all the yeah. time also learning that yeah there's so many different cultures in one yeah. place that it's it's hard to like yeah navigate the whole right. culture Fab I saw right. you mentioned in a tweet the other day you haven't heard about Paraguay in 10 years <laughs> Oh. Like that. I was like, what happened with Paraguay? Still What's around? going on with Paraguay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you read At the Tomb of the Inflatable Pig? Oh, I've heard of this book, right? Yeah, this is an English guy who went to Paraguay and really went deep, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he sort of went deep, and then he was also like, ha-ha, silly Paraguayans. But he did do a lot of history and um, had adventures, and and that's a book about Paraguay that I actually had had my students read your book. I thought about having them read his book. Oh, you have your students read my book, The Wonder Trail, which you can get at any bookstore on Amazon. Uh, I by Steve Healy. <laughs> buy this book. It um, worked great. This podcast so, is just an elaborate book advertisement that Fab has been kidnapped into. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As an actor, a producer, and a proud Latino father, my days can get very busy, which is why I make sure to dedicate time to what's important, like supporting my community through my work, sharing my Colombian and Venezuelan culture, and being present for my family, which is everything to me. Hey everyone, it's Wilmer Valderrama. And when reflecting on what matters most, I start by giving thanks for good support in my life whenever I need to make the big decisions. How about you? If it's insurance you need, State Farm is there to help you choose the right coverage for you. And State Farm offers great support 24-7. Just call an agent. State Farm is also a big supporter of Michael Tudor Podcast Network by helping to share our Latinx voices. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite Michael Tudor shows wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV True Crime Podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, 
a military-trained seduction spy, reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Julia, I was looking into your to your to your resume and your work. You've written a whole book about an event called the Cristero War, which happened in yeah. the 20s. Tell us give us a little bit about what that yeah. is because I had not really heard okay. of this event and it seems like you're maybe yeah. the foremost scholar of it at least in English. Well, so totally. Uh, well, no, totally not. I, this, I, this is the thing you are constantly not even close. realizing how little you know <laughs> and so I'm like uh, yeah, I will never know enough, but I have written a book about it. I mean, you also have to embrace the fact that you'll never know enough and just right. send publish. Just, and, just um, get it out there. But with, with humility. Um, so I, I realized I didn't know enough when I went to do my MA. So then I went to do a PhD in history in, in Mexican history at Mexican and Latin American history. But my focus was Mexico. And I said, I want to write about Mexican immigration. And I went to a class, I took a class on the history of immigration. I said, I want to write about when Mexican immigration started. Like, when did it start? So I can understand why it happened. Great this is my question. sophisticated yes. thought process. And the man who was teaching the class, who was a visiting professor at the University of Chicago at that time, and his name is Jorge Durand, and he's amazing and has written a ton on, on Mexican history. And he said, well, you should start with the 1920s because that's when mass migration that's when all the patterns of mass migration um, really began. And so when I started looking about at this topic of who was coming and why were they leaving and why was it the 1920s, like there are tons of complicated reasons for migration always. They're the push and pull factors of migration. There are always multiple push factors and multiple pull factors. Pull factors pulling people to the United States and push factors pushing people out of their home country or pulling people to the United States or any other country they go to. And one of the reasons people were leaving Mexico during the 1920s was because there was this war going on. And it was a war that a lot of people haven't heard of. You're not the only person at all, because, mostly because from 1910 to 1920, so in the decade before, Mexico had its revolution, um, like the Mexican Revolution, which is Big one of those topics that like, maybe you've heard of. Sure, yeah. yeah. Some of my students, that's that's on the like the bingo card of <laughs> things that they've heard yeah, of before, they, like, oh, <laughs> Zapata, right, yeah, Pancho Villa. Yeah, Zapata. Um, yeah, exactly. And, Guys with um, big hats and bullet uh, bands of bullets. And bandoliers and guns yeah. and, yeah, horses. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, so that had just happened in Mexico. And one of the things that happened during the Mexican Revolution is that they um, – the revolutionary government that emerged, like the faction that emerged victorious, decided to put restrictions on the Catholic Church. And like Fabrizio, you probably know about this or anyone, you know, you well, you know, too, Steve, that like the Catholic Church is really important in Latin America, right? Because it's a player. Everybody was Catholic. They, yeah. They, and they still have power. That That's yeah. insane. They still they have, have power. The, they have well, the, they, they're they probably going to have the biggest building in town or one of the biggest buildings in town. So exactly. starting yeah. there. The most beautiful, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like the most beautiful building in every town. Yeah. Any yeah. town in Latin and, America, if you're like, what's the thing I got to visit? Well, the Iglesia, the Santa, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they are. I always go to the churches they're they're beautiful and, oh they're great yeah but i mean there's so there's you know spain arrives and colonizes latin america and spain is catholic and all of latin america is catholic and the pope puts his rubber stamp on spain colonizing america so that they can make everybody catholic right and there's no for all the years of the colonial period there's no separation between church and state and that's fine i mean there are issues but it's fine but then in um the in the 19th century, as Latin American nations start becoming independent from Spain, then they have this question of like, how do we become an independent nation, but still deal with this church where there was no separation between church and state before? And so in Mexico and in other countries, in Chile too, um, all these new independent nations start saying, like they start putting limits or boundaries on the church and the church's power. And that, the church doesn't like that, right? And so this kind of happens in Mexico in the 19th century and then in the and then it, it comes up again during the revolution and these revolutionaries are like the church has too much power 
the priests have too much power, the Catholic Church controls education, they own too much land, and so we need to put into our constitution restrictions and limits on the Catholic Church. And so they do that in the Constitution of 1917, which emerges as Mexico's constitution. And then those laws don't really get enforced until 1926. And in 1926, the government of Mexico says, you know what, you you haven't been obeying these laws. We're serious here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're serious. We're cracking down. And so they do a penal code where you're punished if you obey those laws. And they say, like, we can't have foreign priests and nuns. We can't have um, we can't have priests and nuns wearing their like their religious garb outside in public. You can't have religious celebrations outside, which, as you know, religious celebrations outside in like plazas and parks are like a pretty important part of Latin American culture. Huge. Yeah. And Mexican culture. And so. So the bishops of Mexico, like the hierarchy of Mexico, they didn't like this, as you can imagine. And they responded by saying, "Okay," they basically sort of called the government's bluff and they were like, "Okay, well, you've made it impossible for us to function. And so we're suspending the sacraments in Mexico, which, again, like the sacraments. (laughs) Everyone's going to hell from now. That's exactly what they're saying. That's a a term. You can't get married. You can't get baptized. Okay, whatever. You know, you want me to pay taxes? Everyone go to hell right now. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Pretty good flex by the church. No baptism. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they cancel themselves. And so, uh, and so, so then, as you know, like the sacraments are also really important to people culturally. You yeah, know, yeah. Get, getting your baby baptized, you know, um, being able to go get communion, go to confession, whatever. And so, um, and so then Catholics in the most Catholic part of Mexico, which is kind of like if you drew a big circle around Guadalajara, so mm-hmm. the west central part, um, but also in Mexico City and also really all over Mexico, but in this really concentrated part of Mexico. Um, which is, I, I refer to in my book as like the West Central region. Other people talk about that. Um, okay. And so they, they basically launched a rebellion. They were like, this isn't acceptable to us. We want our church, we want to be able to go to church. And we don't think, and, and, and we hate the president and we want to bring, we want to make it possible for the church to function. And so they had a battle cry, which was Biba Cristo Rey, which is long live Christ the King. And they were kind of like um, pejoratively referred to as Cristeros, like, ah, oh, those stupid, it's like Christers. It. Christ Christers. And then they adopted that term as like a term of pride. So they're like, si somos Cristeros, Biba Cristo Rey. And we're they, the Christa um, guys. Yeah, we're the Christers. So, uh, so that was the war. And the reason this is all connected to migration is because the war happened in the most populous region in Mexico. And um, it, it really pushed a lot of people to migrate out. There were other reasons, but like, but it was really connected to that migration. And so what I wrote about in my book is the way that people left that, like that sort of Cristero region during the war. And they brought their, they brought the war with them to the United States in a way. They didn't fight in the United States, but they went and they raised money to send guns back home. They got it, got it. Participated in conspiracies. They were working sure. with exiled priests and bishops. And so there was a whole like really interesting sort of spy story about it. And then also it's a story about the way that migrants bring their politics with them. Like yeah, when people, right. right? Like, I mean. Well, Fabrizio, like you're talking about Chilean politics and like you when you leave your country, you don't stop being involved in what's happening in your country. No, as we learned on the show, the number number three guy in the Chilean elections in Alabama. (laughs) Oh, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And also like at the same time, you bring your politics to the place that you're in your where you're new and you bring your own vision of this new country. I mean, when we we think about Latinas for Trump, it's kind of like it's that, you know, it's it's still in in some way well it you're yeah, no totally i mean this is something so i didn't say this this explicitly in my book and I, i'm I, i'm working on this in my next project but what, what there's this tendency in us politics especially on the left to kind of think like oh well you know immigration is really good for democrats cuz all these immigrants are going to come in and they're going to be lefty liberals because you know we want to let them in so they're going to vote for us so you know and you know these latinos are 
are, are kind of lefty because Cesar Chavez or something. It's this sort of really yeah. surface level understanding. And it's like, there are a lot of Latino conservatives. I mean, there's a, and a lot of people who, who are fundamentally conservative because of the politics of their home country. Right. And they're going to come in and they're going to support. I mean, if Republicans, it's a mistake that both Republicans and Republicans and Democrats make because if Republicans let in a lot more Latinos, like they might, they would vote for them for sure. Absolutely. And, and especially what we're talking about, like very religious people. Yeah. Well, they love Jesus and the Bible, you know, it's like, of course, they have a conservative yeah. lean leaning point of view. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not super. They're 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 pro life. They're I'm so, yeah pro life. Sorry. <laughs> they're they're pro life. They're uh, socially conservative. Um, they really don't like a lot of them. They really don't like Hugo Chavez or Fidel Castro. You know, I mean, it's not just Cubans that are republic that are that lean Republican for those reasons. Like there are a lot of other. Yeah. Latin and, and at the same time, I mean, for example, when I'm thinking about people from uh, Venezuela that went pro Trump, it's like, yeah, of course they have Chavez, but Trump is Chavez at the same time. So they also have uh, populism really yeah. works with them. You know, they already vote for the, another right. version of the same person. Right. So well, even with the thinking in the other person's opposite poll, they're still voting for the same again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's also like the, I mean, we used to say that the populist leader was a kind of a Latin American phenomenon, right? And then we elected yes. Trump and we're like, oh, we can do it too. Um, but, you know, the idea of like a, a, a sort of Latin American, like, dictator or demagogue or, or populist. I mean, all of these are terms that are often pretty ill-defined, but they are often associated in the American mind with Latin America, this idea of like a kind of charismatic dictator figure that has a popular, I mean, Peron would be an example. But, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, the guy who can talk and, and for that, five hours. That seems, seems like the definition of this yeah, figure. Yeah. By the way, and, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but like, I'm sure, I think that Peron ran Argentina from Spain for a couple of years. Yeah. There I was mean, a Spanish. Yeah. So he was like doing there. like the Zoom thing in a way before Parisi. Well, that's the big Latin America, right? Is that yeah. is it big Latin America? Mm-hmm. It is, but yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. And the, the migrants make Latin America into big Latin America, and then exiles make Latin America into big Latin America. I mean, Porfirio Diaz, who was president of Mexico before the revolution, died in France. And I was just reading something about um, some conservative Mexican exiles in uh, in Europe trying to cultivate a connection with Porfirio Diaz's wife, you know? So, like, po- Latin American politics happens outside of Latin America all the time. Sure. And, you know, exile is a really important part of, like, political exile has played a really important role in Latin America and prob- probably everywhere, but, you know, I've studied it in Latin America. Also because they raise a lot of money for movements. It's totally. Very, it's, it's, I, the whole thing about, like, during the, the Pinochet years, I remember there was all these media that it was like from the left and everyone's like, why did they disappear when democracy show up? Is that, yeah, because they were funded by France and yeah. by center studies in, I don't know, Brussels. Uh, so they, it was not hard to put money in that anymore. And right. they were all gone. Right. Right. I mean, the, um, the, you, if you want to launch a political movement in Latin America or like a popular movement in Latin America, you probably need to go where the money is. And often the money isn't, in Latin America, right? So you go to the US or you go to France and you fundraise and you, I mean, what I've wrote about in my book is you people fundraising and um, in order to buy weapons or just send money back to like the front, back to the battlefields at home in Mexico. And that's a really common pattern because if they're, you know, and, and, and it's also, you can also be more politically free. I mean, this is true on the left and the right in Latin America. Like think about the people on the Argentine left who left Argentina during the dirty war, right? Because they could, I mean, both because they're leaving for their, to save their lives, but also because they're going where they can be free and where they can collaborate with each other and maybe like lobby the government, lobby the U S government to help them or whatever. Yeah. I I remember reading this theory that uh, a lot of people on the left thought that the, I mean, Salvador Allende suicide, like commit suicide during the the coup Uh in 73 in Chile. And a lot of his friends were like, he shouldn't do that. He should escape, go to Europe, mm-hmm. get a bunch of money, you know, create a movement and came back and continue his work. 
Yeah. Uh, and I never thought about that. But yeah, a lot of people was like, yeah, th that's what you do. You don't kill yourself in right. this context. Right. Um, I mean, I think, uh, and the, and the, I mean, he's, he's an historical figure also because of many reasons, but because of that too. But I never thought that, yeah, that's, that was an option. Right. Uh, at the time. No, that's an option. Like, go go form a movement in exile. I mean, that's the story of Cuba, right? Of the Cuban exiles in Miami. That, yeah. And they, that really consider, probably to this day, some of them consider themselves exiles and not migrants because they were, there was a common pattern for all of Cuban history of going, uh, you know, it's 90 miles away from Key West, right? So you just hop over and, uh, and, and regroup and collect some money. And um, I mean, Jose Marti did this, like, you know, um, find some friends, make some speeches, Make some posters. And then <laughs> it sounds great. And yeah, yeah. do some yeah. Go to kinkos and print some things out and have a fundraiser. Right. And then if you it's have a, nice a migrant, it, yeah, totally, it's great. And if you have a migrant group that's already in the United States, so that's where like Mexico and Cuba, especially, are like you can then go go um, publicize your cause within that migrant group, right? And you can actually get. Potentially, I mean, this is like, think about the Bay of Pigs, the people who fought on the CIA funded anti-Castro side at the Bay of Pigs, those were Cuban migrants or exiles or whatever you want to call them. They were like recently arrived Cubans. Right. So they were able to, with the help of the CIA, organize this, um, you know, what they hoped would be the overthrow of Fidel Castro. And that's been, I mean, think how many Think of how many political movements in the in Latin America have been organized outside of Latin America. This is That's where the action often is, guys. With the help of, say that again. This is where the action is, guys. To our Latin American yeah. listeners, come on up here. Get your organizing done. Come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and come back with dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> See, totally. this is why this is why um you know American people when you know George W. Bush gets reelected or Trump gets elected they they sort of threaten to move to Canada or something but they never really do because the money's still here if you want <laughs> you have to stay yeah. here to do your organizing. <laughs> yeah, and then you you like do a little research on Canada and you're like it's it's just not the same. This is just a big oil company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a, really a lot of Arctic. Um, no, can, yeah, Canada doesn't, for, for whatever reason, Canada doesn't have that same history of, and not as many Latin Americans in Canada either. That's no, why I, I, know, would, it, I would. Backpacking around Canada as an 18-year-old wouldn't be quite as uh, illuminating as going to Mexico. <laughs> there were, I met a million Canadians who were backpacking oh, around sure. Mexico. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they all had, you know, they all had the Canadian flags on their back. But that's what happened when your country is really boring. That's yeah. That's like, mm, yeah. I, they're, and they're, yeah. There's, I mean, they were all, su they were all super nice and they were all like invested in being super nice and, and they were super nice, but you know, they, I think there's a sense of like, there's maybe not that much going on in Canada. And so like take advantage of going abroad, but you know what? It's actually, I don't want to say that. I also want to say that, there's a culture of wanting to travel and know the rest of the world that we really don't have so much in the U.S. I mean, it's it was there's there's a subculture in the U.S. of people that go and backpack and travel around. But you're always surrounded by when you do that, when you backpack or you do like extended travel or living in other countries, you're always surrounded by like Australians and South Africans yes, and Canadians. Yes. But there is a culture of, um, you know, I don't know, maybe it's like they, they know they live in these more remote places or relatively remote places. And so they feel like, well, I got to get out. I mean, especially Australia, right? Like I got to get out of here and I, and Israelis do it too. Um, yes. They feel like they got to get out and they got to see the world. And we're just like, I didn't know there was a Mexico. I didn't, <laughs> I, I, my, my, my thing is maybe, I don't know if it's just me, but every time I, I talk with uh, my American friends, they really scare of Latin America. Like they think it's dangerous yeah. in a way that it's a fantasy. Like not, no yeah. like no place is that dangerous as they think in their minds. Right. You know, it's always like, can you can you eat there? And I say, yeah, right. of course. <laughs> I mean, can you drink oh, yeah. water? It's like, yeah, yeah, this is water, you know? You so, can't drink the water. They, they don't drink water. Yeah. They, like... There's a it's lot funny, of things it's, like that. It's funny here because in LA you see all these like water shops and there's like a thing. I think it's a th thing of uh, Latino immigrants, Central South American Mexican immigrants to LA to not want to drink our water. 
like they, they're usually buying water rather because they're this is a water thing of our in temple. the world. It was a water so, sensitivity. We need, we need somebody. Course. We need an international <laughs> arbiter to talk about water and where I you know, can drink water. But like, I'd probably <laughs> rather drink water in Mexico City than in Flint, Michigan. You know, for I sure. Mean, we're not. We're, well, we have this idea that here everything is safe. Meanwhile, we have we kind of have a gun problem here. So you know, uh, but we have this idea that here everything is safe, and in Latin America everything is unstable and dangerous. And a lot of that is every movie that's ever been made about Latin yeah. America, especially Mexico, especially Mexico city. It's just like, it's all explosions. It's all uh, explosions, yes. all the time, explosions and kidnapping and narcos. Right? I mean, a, a friend of mine from Colombia, he talked to me about when they put a big billboard of narcos, uh, Colombia, the first one, you know, mm -hmm. the one with Pablo Escobar yeah. in, in, in Colombia. And everyone's so upset. And of course, Netflix, couldn't understand why. I mean, this is a show about you in a way. And they were like, no, Moses, because Pablo Escobar was, it's, he killed people that we know, you know, like yeah. it's, it was, a, it, it, it's, I mean, my grandfather have, or a friend of my, yeah. my neighbor die. So it's still super fresh. And you're like, just putting the face of that guy in a billboard, you, you know, yeah. it, it's, of course, it's, you, you're not going to like that. Uh, I mean, don't they, didn't they, have um like escobar tours for tourists like you could yeah. go to his mansions and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so that was that definitely was also, a thing yeah right and i remember that that also offended people and rightly so right because they're like yeah for exactly the reasons you say they're like this guy wrought havoc on our society and then you're coming here being and, like, oh. and in the 90s i mean not, not like i don't know 100 years ago yeah. you know it was this no, is super fresh yeah 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 and people and People have long memories about this stuff and they should. I mean, even when I was doing work on, on Cristeros, I would go to certain places in Mexico where it had really been fun. And people were like, ah, mi abuelo era Cristero, mi abuelo era agradista, which was the other side. But like, it was people, it was in people's families. It was a conflict that was remembered and it's totally forgot, it was never understood in the U.S. really at all. And um and uh, even has been forgotten in some parts of Mexico. Maybe but, in Colombia um, they should get back at us by making a show about like the Sacklers and they're just like hilarious clowns and everything right. they do is silly and you know it's like they're funny. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, or, totally gun, or like gun the, violence. I mean, yeah. why don't they make a narco style drama about gun violence in the US where you can't go anywhere without being afraid of, you can't go to school without being afraid of being shot? I mean, I, sorry, that's dark, but, but it does. It, it is just so interesting, this kind of it, this kind of line or assumption that like you just you're going to get kidnapped the middle the minute you walk out of the on the street in Latin America. But you're never in any danger in the United States in comparison. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that that's something I mean, that's something that goes back and probably has sort of deep historical roots. The idea that Latin America is less stable. We are stable. We're a democ we're a stable democracy. We bring democracy to other places. And this is something I really love about teaching Latin American history is that it really causes students to rethink U.S. history, <laughs> in a, to reevaluate and reassess U.S. history, because we grow up with this idea that we are the we are we are the country that brings freedom and democracy to the rest of the world. And then, and I, I don't, I try not to be, you know, too didactic or political on this, but I just kind of, if you lay out the history of Latin America since the mid 19th century and up until the present, and you look at just the sheer number of U.S. interventions in Latin American politics and the number of times we've sent troops to Latin America and the number of times we've um, un helped un unseat a democratically elected leaders that we don't like, it kind of makes you think, like, well, wait a second. <laughs> no, no, no. Every time you make it worse. I mean, every time was worse, I think, for the country. And we're still, I mean, in Chile, this election right now, it's still about what happened with Pinochet. I mean, still uh -huh. in 2021, we're still, yeah. you know, have to go back to that point yeah. where the country split to, like, revisit that yeah. every single election. So thank you guys. I know. I'm sorry. It really, <laughs> it really, it's like, we really like to hang up the, the mission accomplished sign. We like yeah. to say yeah. like, okay, mission accomplished. They tore the statues down. Now, bye-bye. And, yeah. and then, 
And then like you guys deal with the mess afterwards, right? So that was Chile and that was Guatemala. And like, I mean, it's just an endless number of places. Um, and, you know, and the thing we like to say about ourselves is like, well, we're just trying to, we're just trying to do the right thing. We're just trying to prevent communism, you know? And I mean, it's, it's complicated and, and there were reasons for preventing communism. Like th- there were certainly, you know, there was violence on all sides in many places, but we don't have a great track record on intervening and then solving the problem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it hard to think of an well. example where we, we did that. And then there was no problem after that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you stop paying attention. That's it. You stop paying attention. Of, and Okay. I, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I, I think that part of the problem is like sort of where I started this conversation of like, we don't know enough about the context of Latin America and we intervene without a deep understanding of the history the culture, the language, the reasons why a particular person might have been democratically elected. And instead, we're just like, oh, no, he's bad. He's a communist. I mean, OK, this was more during the Cold War, but that was the that was the methodology, right? Like, he's bad. He's a communist. Get him out. <laughs> well, let's pay the guys who will get him out. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I often get asked why I'm such a big fan of wrestling. And it's all thanks to my grandma. Growing up, we would watch matches together, and that bond turned me into a lifelong fan. Hi, I'm Freddie Prince Jr., and on my podcast, Wrestling with Freddie, we know how important it is to have the right teammate because things can get pretty tricky quick. So, when things get complicated and you need help, State Farm gives you options. They show you what's possible for ensuring what matters to you. One of the things that matters to me, sharing memories and revisiting wrestling's greatest moments. And with State Farm's support of the My Cultura Podcast Network, I get to do just that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listen to new episodes of your favorite My Cultura shows wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Sum it up here on Wikipedia, a list of uh, U.S. It says covert U.S. involvement in regime change. Just to list you some of the places, Guatemala, Syria, Indonesia, Cuba, Cambodia, Congo, Cuba again, Dominican Republic, South Vietnam, Brazil, Indonesia, Ghana, Bolivia, Chile, Argentina, Salvador, Afghanistan, Angola, Nicaragua, Chad, Iraq. Not a list of uh, successful paradises for the most part. No, right, <laughs> right. And then, and then the best part is we're like, why are they coming here? Like, why are there people 
immigrating here in caravans and crossing the border. Like these two things are totally disconnected in our minds, right? Yeah. That our yeah. involvement in these countries and then um, and then the fact that people are then fleeing these countries and coming to the most stable and prosperous country in the hemisphere, which is here, right? Or, I mean, same thing with Afghan migrants or, so, I mean, I think another thing that we don't do in the U.S. is like, we don't learn Latin American history at all. We don't think of ourselves as part of the, in the U.S., we don't think of ourselves as part of the hemisphere. So this is actually like you guys saying big Latin America is actually really important this thing that you're doing we're it's, doing it's, our it's, part it's, here in the podcast one podcast yeah. at a time it's really it's you're you're doing something for the cause for the betterment of the world and you should feel good about that um oh wow oh, and not I teach, many podcasts I teach, can say that well you, you <laughs> can and um no i when i teach i try to talk about the americas i mean i have a class on migration to and from and within the americas because like we don't understand that we're the same thing that things that happened here happened in Latin America. We're connected to Latin America. We've intervened in Latin America, but also we've been involved in Latin America. Latin America has been involved with us. Like we're not separable. We're all in the same, we're literally connected <laughs> and we're all in the same hemisphere. Right. And so we just, but we, but this is part of the, the whole myth of American exceptionalism is like, not only are we the best country and the most unique country ever, but we're also like somehow not connected to, the other countries that are that share land borders with us. Yes. It's a problem. Land and it, borders. It leads to us not understanding the causes of things like migration or yeah. instability that leads to migration. It's a problem. So it's really it's important to talk about big Latin America or about the Americas or about the whole hemisphere because it does it does help. I mean, I think really I see this in my students is that, I mean, I, th I feel like a successful, in a successful class that I've taught the student leave feeling like, oh, okay, we, we are more connected than I realized. Like I, I actually need to know about what's happening in Latin America. It's not really an option. We, we shouldn't feel yeah. like we can just be in the United States and, and ignore what's happening in Latin America. And at the same time, and, and this is part of our show, it's like, it's the same. It, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's just the same, you know? I have yes. different names, but the characters uh, is the, <laughs> the same characters cast. characters are very similar. It looks like a <laughs> real yeah. line time. between most of them. Yeah, yeah it's just... Yeah. <laughs> so you can see what's going to happen because the patterns are there. You know, if you learn from Latin America, you're going to see what's going on here. And <laughs> at the same time, we're, we're also... we've Like, Latin America now is being feeded by all what it's been done here. I mean, right. in, in, in the last five elections in Latin America, there's a guy saying like, hey, you know, the votes are, they didn't count all the votes. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. the same playbook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, uh, of course, there's there's a, there's something there that people are not paying attention and it's very interesting. I mean, the current president of Mexico, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, when he was first, he first ran um, in 2006 for president. I believe that was his first candidacy. And he lost very narrowly. And he said it was fraude, right? It was fraud. And he refused to concede. And then he went to the Socalo in Mexico City and had a parallel inauguration, like his own inauguration. He inaugurated himself. And That's his, coming. And like, 100,000 followers were there. <laughs> yes. And they camped out in the Socalo. I know, this is like, it happened there already. And and he and he never like he never conceded and he said you know basically fraud stolen election stolen votes and Trump actually they're at Mar-a-Lago right now kicking himself that no one brought him this idea <laughs> I, yeah yeah <laughs> like he, <laughs> so he could have done I mean because Amlo did like he had a whole he did the sash like that he put a, another version his own version of the presidential sash like he took the oath of office. So like well, Trump, so, I kind of thought that might happen. Trump could do like a, you know, on the other end of the mall, he could do a parallel inauguration and like his followers would have shown up. For I sure. Mean, <laughs> I mean, they, they think without the inauguration, there's still people who think he's the president secretly. I mean, he, yeah, maybe he didn't <laughs> do it because he didn't actually have to do it. He yeah. Now the sash is one thing that hasn't quite made it here yet. Maybe we'll be seeing that in the next couple. The we Latin American president always has a good sash. That's a good research question. Why is that? I feel mm. like it's 
a French or a Spanish thing. And we don't, maybe that could, yeah, we're going to put some people, we'll see that before too long. Yeah. Well, professor, we don't want to take too much of your time. This has been amazing. I want to leave Thank with you. the comp- incredible compliment you gave to our show. And yes, yeah, so you, I think we're all thinking along the same lines here of trying to figure out how, why, uh, <laughs> why it is that we think we're somehow distinct from these places that are, uh, just an imaginary line away. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're all, we're connected. We're all connected. Amazing. Thank you for joining us here. Where can people find your work or if they want to learn more about what you're working on? Um, I'm not a good self-promoter. I have a Twitter okay. account. Okay. <laughs> I have a Twitter account that I use very sporadically. It's a uh, Julia G young. Okay, cool. Um, and you can Google, I've written some op-eds and articles and you can Google Julia Young Catholic University, and you'll find those there. So get the um, Julia Young take. It's out there. Well, thank you so much, Professor. Really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Four from the South is hosted by me, Steve Healy, and Fabrizio Capano. Robert O'Shaughnessy is our producer. Original theme song by Amy Stolzenbach. Four from the South is a production of Exile Content Studio in partnership with iHeartRadio's Michael Tura Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tengo diabetes. Yo, asma. Estamos en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. 19 años o más con afecciones crónicas como asma, diabetes, EPOC o enfermedad cardíaca o tienes 65 años o más, estás en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Aunque te hayas vacunado previamente con otras vacunas contra la neumonía, Prevnar 20 puede ayudar a proveer protección adicional. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones de 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Los adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. Los efectos secundarios incluyen dolor e hinchazón en el área de la inyección, fatiga, dolor de cabeza, dolor muscular y en las coyunturas. Para obtener la información para la prescripción completa, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita prevnar20enespañol.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.